Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Mad Mamluks. My name is Mohammed. My name is Amir. My name is Sam. Uh, today we have two very special guests. One of the largest Zabiya Halal meat distributors in the Midwest. Um, more, fam- more famously known as uh, Fatima Brands. Sajid Khan and Ali Qureshi. Welcome. Welcome, Thank you for having us. Nice um, to have you guys here. You know, I want you guys to start off, Ashley. T- can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do, what you guys are known for? Yeah, we're known for uh, Zabiya Halal Meat distribution here in the Chicagoland area. And also uh, uh, throughout uh, the United States, some places in St. Louis, some in Michigan, and mostly in Indiana. We do most of our slaughter ourselves. Uh, anything we distribute, typically, we like to see and make sure that it's sort of acceptable for us and majority of the opinions that are held by majority of Muslims. So, uh, but we mostly concentrate in the Chicagoland area. But we do uh, mostly wholesale, uh, which is like boxed beef products, chicken, lambs, and goats. And then what mostly all you guys know us for is the Fatima brand stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows. Like the gyros, the well, hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I've Bacon. met people across this country who know about Fatima brand. Yeah. Like, I mean, I let yeah. Ali deal with that shipping out to... Uh, the customers in Texas, California, like dry wow. icing and shipping uh-huh. it out. No, we do so. get a lot of requests from outside the state. Now, Atlanta is another one that we provide chicken to. Uh, aside from chicken, St. Louis, every product, basically, you name it, besides pork, we provide, right? So that's, that's, awesome. that's to say, safely, we can do that. Uh, Alhamdulillah, we provide a good chunk amount for the Chicagoland community. Uh, it, it's been great. You know, it's, it's a hard job. It's a difficult. We do the best we can. Uh, small staff, small family business. And we've been doing Alhamdulillah for what almost since 1987 when we first started yeah uh, how did it start well in 1987 my mom started a store Mm -hmm. called kc mart yes of course amir knows it i love yeah your dad was there every weekend yeah you know help us set up too and you know uh latif saeed yes sir shout out shout out there you go (laughs) sheikh amir's dad is but yeah so my mom started a retail store a filipino pakistani store when i say filipinos because we had a big filipino community in glendale heights you know the first the the mayor of glendale heights at the time was ben fajardo a filipino wow Wow. you know minority in 1987 in the western suburb of chicago wow you know nowadays you know it's mostly you know so anyways (laughs) 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 so uh my mom started the store and at that time, my dad was a fashion designer working for Evans for a coat. Wow. Okay. My dad used to work that. in the fashion industry. Yeah. Macy, uh, not Macy's. It was called Marshall Fields at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, Bonwood Teller and then Evans for a coat. Hmm. Um, as a fact, as a matter of fact, my dad used to uh, do uh, fur coats for a lot of uh, celebrities at the time. I think Zaza Gabor and. Um, at that time, I believe his name was Senator Percy something, his wife. But anyways, uh, at the time, my mom started this grocery store and my dad uh, was working at this Evans Furco company. And my mom told him, like, you know, we should do something with the store. There's a community here that needs halal meat. So my dad started doing halal meat, not started doing halal meat himself, just started buying from people like people buy from us. Right. You know, and uh, one day my dad decided to follow our supplier or uh, sort of see where he's getting his meat from just because he wanted to see the slaughter. He was interested. Right. And he knew, my dad knew back then that he was getting the meat somewhere in Detroit, you know, because there was a lot of Muslims in Detroit mm-hmm. at the time. My dad followed the supplier up to Detroit and then 
he not followed like tailed him, but you know, <laughs> worked his lines. Don't imagine him driving behind stalking some guy, him. stalking him on ninety, going all the way back to Detroit. But l- looked up, uh, di- one of the health department guys said, you know, if you look at that establishment number on the box, which is a USDA code, you can locate where this meat comes from. He located it to a place locally in Illinois. My dad's like, oh, well, wow. it's coming locally in Illinois. It's going to Detroit. It's coming back to me. Well, my dad went to talk to that company, and the company goes, well, we don't have anybody that slaughters halal here. We do have someone that slaughters kosher, you know, and of course, I'm not going to say what company name it is, yeah. but um, at that time, my dad was like, oh, he's telling me it's halal. But I mean, from an Islamic perspective, you could see how kosher is acceptable too, right? Yeah. yeah. A lot of Muslims don't accept eating kosher unless, you know, you unless in the circumstances halal is not available. So then my dad eventually had this idea that. He's going to try to attain halal meat for our store. Hmm. So he talked to that company that was locally here in Illinois and asked them, can I slaughter like one or two cattle for us? You know, and the guy was a nice guy and he said, yeah, sure, you can do it. So that's how he started. We started bringing halal meat into our stores. And eventually my dad found a lamb place in Chicago doing the same thing. You know, now that company is owned by, Brakat owns that facility Brakat, now. Yeah. Oh, that, okay, okay. Yeah, it was, it was the old Chapati building. Hmm. So, um... My dad started doing that, and then the several stores in Devon area gave him calls like, oh, can you get us meat? Can you get us meat? Can you get us meat too? You know, people became more aware of the situation and how it was, and that's how we started doing it. We started having a little grocery store. My dad started supplying stores here and there. From 1987 to 1997, we still had the store, and then eventually we went into, we, we sold the store and went blown out wholesale. I'm going to cut aside it for a second. Right now, it's funny how people still to this day trust his dad's name, Yusuf. It yeah. is Yusuf's meat. Alhamdulillah, we've called ourselves Fatima brand. We call ourselves Zabia Halal Meat Processors as our distribution unit. Our brand is Fatima brand where we got the gyros and the, the frozen products. But subhanAllah, still to this day, people ask, oh, is this Yusuf has meat? Exactly. So Yusuf it, Uncle, just, they say yeah. you got Yusuf Uncle yeah. K, uh, his, his, his yeah. warehouse. We got to yes. go to his warehouse. Yeah. They don't say Fatima brand. It's like, I don't even know Yusuf, if I should no, make no, a They don't say Fatima brand. Yeah. You know, us younger generation, because we eat hot dogs and gyros, yeah. you'll know Fatima brand. Yeah. But... You know, when we used to slaughter uh, in the south side of Chicago, every time my dad would slaughter, we would always have one man doing the inspection in the lamb to make sure it passed its halal audits. And we would stamp it. And the stamp said Yusuf on it. You know what I mean? So I guess when those lamb legs and stuff like that went to the stores and they saw Yusuf on it and customers saw Yusuf on it, that's how they got in their mind. Oh, is this from Yusuf? You know, if the lamb leg doesn't have Yusuf's name on it, we don't want it. You know? Amazing. So uh, with the older generation, we'll answer the phone, Fatima brand meat. It's like, then they asked us, do you know who Yusuf is? It's like, yeah, that's my dad. Or he's like, that's my father-in-law, you know? Yeah. Then they feel more comfortable. But they were not comfortable talking to me, a guy who doesn't sound desi, yeah. you know, who sounds like an American guy trying to push something that might not be halal to them. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so um, a lot has been made um, about how Zabiha halal food is more expensive than regular food. And sometimes people don't, don't go in that direction. From a... Someone who's in, inside that business, can you tell us how much more is it actually? Is it, is it something that, that people really need to be that concerned about in order to switch over to eat halal food? Pennies. Pennies. Go ahead. Now. Jump on this I part. mean, you know, it, it, it depends, right? I mean, if you're going to eat halal, right, and it's got to be hand slaughtered and it's not got to be it's got to be not stunned. And it's got to still got to be from an animal that's humanely treated. Right. It's got to be fed uh, non-GMO, non-GMO, no animal byproducts. Then yeah, you're going to be looking to pay a premium on it. But 
there's also different standards of halal when it comes to halal, right? Right. Well, what's what's just explain your your type of halal. What what your understanding of a halal is, and uh, what conditions have to be met for you to be confident in your name being on that box of meat. Well, in order for my name to be on it or Fatima brand yeah. to be on it, you know, we like to sell a product that 100% of the Muslims can eat without saying it. Hey, I'm Maliki, so I only need two juggler veins cut and not the other two. And I'm this guy, I only need three juggler, three veins, three yeah. openings cut. Well, why not go for all four, you exactly. know, in this, in this instance? I want to be able to sell to 100% of the people without fail, right? So what we try to do is we try to hand slaughter, saying Bismillah, Allah Akbar on each animal as we slaughter, without the use of pre-slaughter stunning, you know, and also uh, what what are they fed? So the animals are usually uh, all vegetarian fed or grain fed. I'm not going to say that, um, you know, it's corn fed. You consider that vegetable. Yeah, is corn ideal for cows? I mean, in this time and age, that's what they're feeding them to bulk them up. You know, you can also get the all grass, but that'll be significantly higher, you know, even if it's not halal, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, our chickens, they're Amish raised, all vegetarian fed, antibiotic free, and no GMO feeds in it, right? Right. And uh, I think just that alone puts the premium up regardless of hand slaughter, right? Right. You're like providing you go- a quality, basically, that quality meat, right. Canadian beef that we provide. So, like, mm. what we do, me and Ali, and when we're trying to get a customer, we don't try to say, okay, of course, your niche wants to be, like, we want to say, we're hand slaughter, you know? So, you could throw that out there. But before you build up to hand slaughter, let's build up first, Ali, that we're Amish raised when you're talking to the customer. Amish or, raised? Amish raised. The chickens. Chicken, yeah. Okay. What Amish. does that mean? Can you, so, for people who aren't familiar yeah, with what, what so that So, our is. chickens are coming from Indiana, right? To the livestock. And there's a okay. big Amish community there. So, it's raised the Amish way. Raised by Amish farms, you know, the old way, how they were supposed to be raised. Right. You see what I'm right. saying? And in this time, we're seeing uh, almost every time I log on to Facebook or something, you see a video of how animals are being treated. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's horrible. Right. It's, the conventional yeah. way, the commercial way. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, I saw that movie Food, Inc. and it blew my mind. Think about it from this perspective. Do you think that this is how it's supposed to be? Like, for example, when we hand slaughter chicken, right? Now, now I'm going to track back and move away from talking about Amish rays. Let's talk about hand slaughter, right? Let's talk yeah. about hand slaughter. So when we hand slaughter chicken, what do we do, Ali? Like 20,000 in a week? Roughly Somewhere around yeah, there, 20,000 a week? 20, wow, 20,000? That, that number seems high, right? That's a big number. What do you mean? That's a big number. But machine slaughter chicken plants, halal plants, do almost 2.2 million in a week. Sometimes 200,000 a day on average. More than that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So when you're, wow. you're slaughtering these many chickens on a line... That tells you need to produce way more chickens. So production's up. Margins are bigger. You can che- sell that at a cheaper price. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what are you doing to grow those chickens? You're ha- you have to use a lot of resources. What yeah. resources do you need to use? You need to use water. You need to use water to grow crops, to feed these chickens, to bulk up these cows, to bring them to these corporate commercial slaughterhouses, to s- slaughter them in bulk. Don't you think that if we followed the halal way of slowing things down for a little bit, that we wouldn't have to use that much water, that much energy to feed the livestock. Well, how much more is it? Uh, I mean, in terms of, for example, if uh, one of these major companies had to open up another plant and forget about halal for a second. Yeah, let's I'm just talking. Yeah, 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 about halal, yeah right. Let's just say they did it uh, in, in a humane way. How much more do you think it would cost them? I think it would cost to the end consumer. Yeah, 
like let's say me yeah, and you. Yeah, because we're we're the ones who end up paying for it. All um, you know, I see pro- like our quality of chicken, for example. Yeah. Uh, I will go to a local store. The quality of chicken breast that we sell. I don't want to put the wholesale price out there. Everyone's going to go to the store and be like, hey, I know what you buy it for now. <laughs> but these stores are selling it for around $4.99 for a boneless breast. Is that, is that right, Ali? Am I, am I on so point or on $3.99 point? $3.99 for something. Every store is different. Yeah, every yeah. store is different. But we're talking about Amish yeah. raised chickens here. Yeah. And I'm talking, I'm, let, let's forget about the part where it's halal, right? And then you go to Whole Foods and you see that same chicken. It's that, the same exact chicken. Chickens come from the same farm. Same exact farm. Yeah. And probably even sometimes the same exact slaughterhouse. It might even be halal. It's just that sometimes we don't take everything so that they use it in the open market. But they're selling it for nine ninety nine a pound. Wow. And the mm. reason why we keep the prices so cheap, not saying we, but we as the stores and we as a wholesaler, like whatever we buy it for, we only mark up on cents. So our money is really on volume. You know, if I was to sell like how these co- companies would sell, my margins would be significantly higher, you know, but yeah. we have to keep it close to the chest because... So I don't think you have to pay significantly higher. I mean, it's just maybe us, us as us as people, we just got to roll back on how much more money we make. Yeah, you know, I mean, isn't there some sort of correlation that said back in the day you spent so much more money on food and so much less money on medical costs? Nowadays you spend so much more money on medical costs and so much less money on food. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, food has gotten significantly cheaper. Right. You know? I mean, meat is so readily available. It used to be uh, a luxury. It, yeah, it used to be a, 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 a barter system back exactly. during the time of the Prophet mm-hmm. You know, people didn't eat it every day like they did. Yeah. You could survive on dal and chow. Now I know people are thinking of it. <laughs> hey, Sanjay, that's blasphemous. What are you talking about right there? You're in the meat business. Don't you want to make some? money yeah you know oh, you're being no, transparent dude no, you're let's being be, real dude. Let's, let's be real here be you know real thank sometimes you, we got to track things back and the way the industrialization complex of going of commercializing animals corporatizing everything's trying to sell trying to pump it out trying to slaughter a thousand in a day in a five-hour shift wow. i'm talking about cattle wow. now that's a right that's crazy or yeah. two hundred thousand chickens in a day what resource are you using mostly you're using water to get those vegetables those crops to grow to feed those animals to bulk them up those crops you can use on regular humans and the water that you're using 15 years from now, now I think I believe I got this from Vice, 15 years from now, 40% of the world will have water issues. Wow. 40% mm. of the world will have water issues, right? Think about that. 40% of how the many, world. How many years? It's all for the sake of mass production. 15 years. 15 years? That's what they say. If they don't wow. correct something. They don't no, make, that's not too unimaginable. I mean, Cali had the... Uh, yeah. the California. Yeah, Texas. De- plants Detroit, go out of business. Yeah, Detroit. Right. Well, Detroit, Flint, and that's a different. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's good that we live in Chicago because twenty percent of the world's water supply is right here in the Great Lakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah fresh water. Twenty percent of the world. Yeah, water like, supply. Like, like what you said that one time is like what they talk about global warming, right, Sim? Like, yeah. I don't know if you noticed this, but one time you had put this thing up there about uh, global warming and the whole thing about twenty percent of the world's water being right where located where we are. Yep. You're like, you're like. Maybe we'll call. We'll build a wall and call everybody uh, the wildlings outside of it. Because <laughs> yeah. it was you're like you're trying to promote living in Chicago. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. uh, you know Sajid, you kind of touched on this a little bit. I want to ask you. Um, you know, a lot of these documentaries. Uh, I don't watch too many documentaries, but the ones I do, you know, they really push the thing. It's like twenty gallons of water to produce like a pound of beef. Is the halal way um, different? Is it more efficient, or do would you say it's just about the same? I think uh, it's hard to really define the halal way mm-hmm. because. Um, Everyone has interpreted it a little different. I mean, wouldn't you say so? Like in yeah. regards to like, if you say this animal has been tortured, right? Not to say torture. It hasn't been treated humanely. I don't even use the word torture, but it hasn't been treated humanely. It hasn't been treated all a vegetarian diet. It's it's been fed animal byproducts. But when it comes time, it's like a lamb. Let's say it comes time to slaughter it. 
And you say Bismillah Akbar? Well, at the minimum, it is halal. Yes. Still to to consume, yes. To consume. Treatment is one thing, and consumption is Yeah, consumption. Ideally, you would have loved that animal to be humanely treated in the beginning. You would have loved the animal to eat all vegetarian diet. You would have loved it to be taken care of properly, fed some water before slaughter, nacho the knife, give it a quick, swift cut, lay it on its left side, use your right hand. Face it towards Makkah, Bismillah Allah Akbar, you know? That's wow. the ideal situation, right? I like how you right? just did that one after the other without even flinching. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. MashaAllah, that's amazing. I have a quick but, question. But what, isn't that amazing, though, that when you get into the business, yes. you have to become an expert of that fic. Exactly. You have to know all the different opinions, Yeah. how your process is fitting in. And what he just did is, he's like, I'm just going to do everything. Yep. And so I'm going to make sure no one has a fear of eating my food. No, that's amazing. And you can use your profession right. to, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, the, the same thing goes with lawyers. The same thing goes with doctors um, and businessmen. You know, once you get into business, you have to know the ethics of Islam and business. Also, exactly. Right? Yeah. exactly. When you get into medical, and this is something that very few people talk about. Sheikh Amin is probably the only person I know in Chicago that talks about medical bioethics in Islam. You know? Right. There's nobody else that talks about it. If you're a doctor, you have to know about medical bioethics in Islam too. But you mentioned something, and I'm going to go off on a tangent. You said that animal byproducts are fed to animals also. I think, right? Like and I know that's a, chickens and that's what I'm saying, right? And yeah. I think that's how the man cow disease kind of uh, sparked, right? And that's how it started. So how how often? That's not are, mad cow disease. You could talk about like mad cow disease just from that, right? Yeah. Or being fed that, and what the animal pushes out out of feces, yeah, goes into the grass or goes into wherever they're sitting, and then the the farmers they spray the water into the drain, the drain goes out into these farmlands, it hits all these lettuce. How did E. coli get into lettuce? Yeah. Wow. You see what I'm saying? I Phenomenal. Mean, That's crazy. That's something? why you're on this podcast, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're here. No, this is enlightening. I never even thought of that. It's so I amazing. know, but you think about those things, you know? Yeah. I think that like the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, there is the reason why certain things are certain ways. So how, getting back to the uh, feeding animal byproducts, is this something that just understood amongst uh, farmers or whatever you know, people that raise cattle—they're feeding byproducts of different it keeps animals. Keeps costs down, right? So I it's a, it's just a normal thing. I think it keeps costs down. I don't think. Uh, I mean, you know, when you see those advertisements that says this animal has no hormones. Well, I think by USDA, I believe no animal is allowed hormones. They they state that on the bottom in fine print, but they people use that as a selling point, thinking that everything else has hormones to it. You know, but uh, I think engineered. Uh, I believe I'm not too sure about this. Uh, the feed. Some can be engineered feed that's animal byproducts. Are they meant to eat it? No. You know? Now you feed animals like cows, uh, chicken, right? Uh, I'm sorry. You, that's okay. You're all good. You you feed uh, animals like chicken, uh, corn, or cattle, corn. Are they really meant to eat no, corn? No. I don't think so. But, I mean, I'll be honest, you know... Uh, a lot of the products out there are corn-fed. I of mean, how do you are. get those nice prime steaks? They're not going to come from grass-fed animals, you know? Yeah. You know, I heard a statistic. I don't know how true this is. Is it true that 80% of the corn in the United States is actually for cows and cattle, and Americans actually consume only 20%? You know, I wouldn't doubt that. I wouldn't that doubt that. Right. I, wouldn't I doubt heard that. that all the cornfields are just for cattle. It's so 80% sometimes. go to cattle and 20 for the humans. That's insane. <laughs> and also yeah. think about this. When they eat that, and then they... Uh, the word well, I don't use them and they crap it out, right? Yeah. That's fine. You can say whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> right? The the emissions, negative emissions, the bad emissions that comes out of their 
you know, yeah, area. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that contributes to our global warming. Yeah. Right. They're well, talking about India having that problem. Right. Because they're, they don't uh, slaughter any cattle over there. Because it's against their, I, I believe they the, do now. They the do, Hindu. they do buffaloes, and are they? They, they export. Oh, into you guys are talking about the methane gas. Yeah, yeah. methane yeah, gas. Because, yeah, it's good for the environment, of course. No, it's not good for the environment. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's really bad no, for the environment. I thought it was supposed to be good for the environment. No, that's, no, no, no. that's contributing to the whole global warming. It's, it's just a, agriculture it's a, itself, and yeah, that's a greenhouse gas. That's a greenhouse gas. Think about that. Yeah, oh. um, I think they were saying like agriculture is one of the. I think Ali's doing some greenhouse gas over here too. All that just cookies for amazing. <laughs> um, I want to ask you guys how how big are you guys right now? How many employees do you guys have? Uh, you know, I I always like to say you know there, there was a time when my dad when we were working the business, my dad goes we're not that big, so don't think this and that. Then I got to the next level, I'm like Dad, what do you think now? You know, something on that sort. We're not that big. Don't think about this and that. So I mean, at the end of the day, we're still a small warehouse that operates uh, in in the suburb of Chicago, right? Uh, we 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 just supply to the Chicagoland area. And that, that's the way I see it. Uh, Employees-wise goes, I say, like, we have a total of 12 here. We have two employees in Canada that do the slaughtering for us over there. I was going to ask you about Canada, yeah, but go ahead. You know, yeah. uh, and then we have uh, a brother that works for us that does the slaughter in Indiana. And uh, we work with a few companies that does the slaughter for lambs here in Chicago, you know? Mm. Mm, interesting. So, like I said, at the end of the day, what's more important to us is the method of slaughter that was done. Yeah. Now, now, back in the day, my dad would go slaughter. When I started working in this company, back when I graduated from college around 2004, I thought that I would go work with my dad and he'd be like, okay, now you can take work the office and you could do this and that and use my finance degree. No, my dad took me to the kill floor and said, here, hold a knife and you have to start here. Wow. This is my knife hand, my right hand. So my, this is kind of how you, we're talking about how your dad kind of groomed you for this. Right. This is my knife hand, my right hand, my left hand. You'll see every little individual finger has a mark. That one right with my thumb, chop the tip of my finger off, right up here, oh right God. across my finger. When you say chop the tip of your finger off, literally like... Yeah, off. I mean, I was doing something with a lamb leg one time, and I went, you know, you're supposed to go away from your yeah. hand, you cut this way. You know, I cut towards my hand, and then it slipped off the fat and went right into my finger and just Ugh. sliced the t- tip off. Oh, my and God. And the knives you guys yeah. use are super sharp. Oh, you got to use a super sharp. I remember once I was talking, it was probably like 10 years ago, and you were saying something like the knife, if you were to like drop a napkin on it and just like yes. tug it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, it'll start to cut itself, like, yeah. you know, as, as it comes down. That's amazing. So one thing my dad was really good at, mashallah, was Samurais. sharpening the knives. Yeah, you know, you always You always have to sell it, send it out to these knife companies, and they sharpen it. But my dad's like, you got to know how to sharpen it, because when you slaughter the animals... You got to be able to turn around and sharpen it again because these animals are coming pretty fast. Meaning, like right after you slaughter one, another one's coming. So yeah, when I of a few seconds right. So when there. I was working at the the kill floor back when I was like twenty two, twenty three years old, I would be working with another slaughter man with me. Uh, he would hold the knife, and then I would slaughter. Right, I would do a few animals. Bismillah Akbar, do a few animals. Turn around, and then he would come in, continue, and then I would start cleaning my knife, start sharpening it up. Then he would come off, rotate, and it would be me going. You know, like we're back and back, like this wow. close to each other. We're just a few inches. You away don't from have each space. Other. You don't have you don't space. Have any space. But while he's slaughtering the animals, doing uh, the ziba, I would be cleaning my knife and resharpening it. And then he would rotate. He'd be cleaning his knife, resharpening while I did the animals. You know. Wow. Wow. And uh, as far as uh, did you get a chance to get involved in this this mess, this bloody mess? Oh, yeah. Least, that, was, that was my uh, ritual to get into married into the family. Uh, oh, wow. Hey, Father in law gives me the, the knife here. Let's see if you can do this. So, yeah, we didn't and, talk uh, about that. Yeah. You are bro- uh, Sajid's brother in law. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so you're actually yeah. named after the individual <laughs> for the Fatima brand, right? 
Me? You're, you're married to... Yeah, oh, yeah he's married yeah, to uh, yeah. my sister, Sarah whose Fatima. middle name is yeah. Fatima. And he actually, yeah. as a matter of fact, he named his oldest uh, daughter Fatima. My oldest daughter, daughter is Fatima. There's so, a lot of bots uh, in that name. But me and Ali were friends yeah. before yeah. he came. But yeah. I love this job, yeah. right? Yeah. Where do you get to work full-time with your buddy? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, guys, I got to... I did corporate world. I'm not putting anyone down with what they do with corporate. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, you know, it provided, it pays. It does a good job. You know, you're good at it. We have a finance background. I did do it. Mercantile Exchange was there for a few years. Bank of America for a few years. Alhamdulillah, I got to see that end. I never had a chance like this. I was very privileged, you know, to be in the right place at the right time, to be able to work in this job. Alhamdulillah, I think I've been here about three years full time now. Yeah. And to dive in, you know, headstrong to learn what I've learned in corporate and to apply it here in the small family business that we call. Subhanallah, it's it's been amazing. The people that I meet every day, the, the type of work that I do, my time, all these type of benefits. I cannot say I had a corporate America. And for all the listeners, they're being very modest when they say small family business. I mean, that's good of them, mashallah. But it's not small, mashallah. But mashallah any, small. yeah. So uh, one thing I wanted to, you know, like I know you're you're. If we were to talk about these individuals and other activities that they do, we could spend many podcasts on this. But this is very direct and just talking about, you know, the the slaughterhouse and everything. We're not going to talk about how swole Ali is or anything like that. Stop, man. No, no, forget about Moga. We're talking about you right now. <laughs> How about Ali? I'm old, man. I carry kids everywhere. That's why I you know, sometimes I'm doing lunges with sheeps on my back. <laughs> oh, God. One so, thing I, w- I want to ask, though, um, you guys aren't necessarily in the office all day. You guys are actually that's, loading... That's, that's one of the best things, guys. Uh-huh. Corporate America, you're sitting down. It, even there's studies now that say, what, more than 20 minutes of excessive sitting, get up and get a quick stretch, right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. When you're sitting at a desk. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, me, a truck comes in, a load comes in, get up, get out. You know, invoices are made, get up, get out. Hey, make sure that the, the, the driver gets the pro- appropriate paper, make sure this is correct. To ca- constantly keep up and moving, keeps you active, keeps you on oh, your so toes. That's probably when you're Subhanallah, young. It's, 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 it's a good cycle to, from the day I walk, from the second I walk in in the morning to when I leave at night. You're fully engaged in every aspect from delivering, from unloading, speaking to the drivers. Subhanallah, as a Muslim business, even when these non-Muslim drivers come in, to treat them with respect, to talk to them, say how was your day. Simple things like you that. You have to use hikmah. As, 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 as a Muslim business, to, you know, to speak with these guys. A lot of them are old people. A lot of them are uneducated. And this is the only Islam that they probably even heard of. The only type of Muslim that they meet mm-hmm. on a daily basis. But things that are going on right now with Trump and other stuff, yeah, you know, it, things are bad for us. You know, it, Alhamdulillah, we've been so blessed to be in this situation where we can meet these people and give them our aspect, the way we are, the way we, you know, our deen in our life and expose it to these guys. Okay. Isn't that how Indonesia became one of the biggest uh, Muslim countries? Business, Just because yeah, of the, the yeah, business. Trend. Yeah, business, yeah, Indonesia. So, well, not even do that. Um, how, you know, what? what's a day-to-day like for the for the employees? Um, you know, I'm sure they, they pray every day, all that good stuff, but, but what is it like on the floor? You know, I mean, um, you, you did it, right? You know, for, <laughs> to be honest, like I'm out of the office right now, uh-huh. right? But when we leave here, there might be something on the car ride back. Me and I'll leave, like, hey, did you stitch this up or did you do this? Tomorrow, we just slaughtered cattle on Friday, right? In Toronto. So on Monday morning at 4 a.m., which is 3, 3 a.m. Eastern, uh, my time, because they're, they're one hour ahead, you know, Toronto, mm-hmm. I have to have the order to them. And I have to forecast what are we going to need that week. I have to forecast what are we going to need in chicken. Yeah. And I have to bounce these numbers off of Ali. He has to do this. I have to get back to my other my employees that are working the floor with us to call out the stores, see what they need, see what they don't need. You got to forecast these things. Truck comes in. We send out some deliveries. It feels like you come to the warehouse, and it's an 8,000-square-feet facility. You come there. You look in the coolers. You're like, oh, it's not that packed. That's what Ali was saying today to a customer. It's not that packed. But you just seen it yesterday. It was packed. The way you got to get things inside there, you got to you got to bring it in and push it out. We're not sitting on 
Blu-ray players and staplers, uh, you know, and, stuff. Yeah, staplers and things that I could, that could like, sit in the shelf for like two weeks. Mm. We're sitting on things that are perishable. You get it in, you got to get it out. Yeah. So I, I want you to know? point out to the fact that, you know, subhanAllah, when, when our cattle get slaughtered, right? Everyone has this accept, uh, expectation to think that, hey, boom, you slaughter, you, you should have this item at all times. A big item right now in the market is called iRound, right? It's not the greatest of meats, but everyone and their mom wants this item of beef. It looks now, pretty. It, it, it does look pretty. You know, looking wise, it does look pretty. Pretty. Well, like a heart or something. Wait, where is it? No, it's like a. <laughs> it, lo- it, it looks like a flame mignon. It lo- as a matter of oh. fact, it looks like a. Te- it looks like a flame mignon. And uh, wait, what part of the animal is it from? It comes from its leg. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it looks like a flame mignon, but its tender classification is a number one. Number one being the lowest grade. Mm. Its flavor class- classification is also a number one. Just to give you an idea, tenderloin's uh, tenderness classification is a number five. You know? that, that's the Filipino, right? The, ten, the seven pound piece. Yeah. Again, these are small pieces. They're vacuum packed. It's easy for a consumer oh, yeah. to I got you know, clean up guys. the fat and stuff. Now, for example, I, you know, I get the numbers on Friday. Right after Juma, a brother calls me from Canada saying, hey, I slaughtered 168. I slaughtered 163. Whatever the amount must be, you know, 200 sometimes during Ramadan, it gets pretty busy. Uh, SubhanAllah, and him to give me this number, based off that cattle number, there's a formula that Saji created. I have a, yeah. hey, and then when you enter that formula saying, hey, we slaughtered this many cattle on this day, how much product can I consume, take back from those cattle? So It'll tell me how many boxes yes. on, piece, on, on what I get back. But what happens to a lot of stores, especially in our community, Indo-Pakistani community, this is a popular item for them. Because what are the two things that they're looking for? Khima, mm-hmm. right? Which is ground beef, <laughs> you know? And pasanda, which is sliced beef. Mm-hmm. And uh, boti, which is cubed beef. Yeah. Yeah. Things that you're going to slow cook or you're going to... They don't know what steaks are, you know. They, yeah. I'm not gonna say they, but a lot of a lot us of don't. Know I have a story from the older generation. generation. Yeah, they don't. They don't care about what steaks are, and they. Th- this is also they're driving the price up for this particular item mm. that is not so uh, mass available, like Ali was saying. And it's just it's frustrating when you have to try to educate people because at the end of the day, they think you're trying to sell them, you know. Mm. And even though you're trying to do something better for them, you know, you're trying to get them yeah. a better quality of meat and stuff like that. But yet they're buying something tougher. That's just the way it is. Yeah. What portion of your clients are, are not Muslim? Do you, do you have any? Yeah. Yeah, 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 we do. I mean, we have uh, Muslim, uh, I'm sorry, we have uh, customers that uh, do further processing for products such as like, you know, whether it's ready to eat items like gyros or mm-hmm. these pizza puffs. Pizza puffs. <laughs> pizza puffs. I love those pizza puffs. I, 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 I love those those are amazing. Pizza. You guys, <laughs> listeners got to check out their pizza puffs, man. <laughs> Pizza puffs <laughs> and their bacon. Don't forget about the bacon. The beef bacon, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. You know, I, bacon, I, I yeah. like we're, I was saying to Ali before. You know, when someone comes to the fold of Islam, there's a lot of baggage that they have when they become Muslim, and one of the things that's hard to give up is bacon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I realized this right when I brought beef bacon to the market, because a lot of people that buy it from us are actually converts. Yeah. They come. They are looking for our beef bacon, and the reason why is because in our market, growing up. We didn't have beef bacon, but we heard we had something called turkey bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell that to my my I, I my, actually my like that too, though. Dude, I I tell my coworkers yeah, about turkey bacon. You like it because you haven't they tried the it. real thing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You my, haven't tried the real thing. And and I remember uh, like telling someone to eat beef bacon that converted to Islam. They're like, "This tastes like crap." You know? And I was like, <laughs> and then one time uh, we started making this product, and first we started with beef bacon, and we started making veal bacon. And I remember my cousin Ryan. You know, as you know, like my mom's side of the family uh, are predominantly Catholic or Christian. Okay. So my mom converted to Islam back in the 80s right. or ba- late, late 70s. So my cousin Ryan, who's not Muslim, 
he was eating veal bacon one time. He's like, mmm, this tastes good. It tastes like pork. And I was like, I stuck for a lot. <laughs> but but that, that's what turned me on thinking like, man, that's why these converts, they come to the warehouse and they always buy this particular item, yeah. beef bacon. I mean, like I said, John came all the way from Springfield to buy yeah. beef bacon. Brother Khalil came all the way from Rogers Park to buy beef bacon, you know? Yeah. Wow. So, uh, I, I have a... Wait, before... What are the things that are there that you are trying to probably imitate... Uh, I know. I think I saw something like sausage, uh, so- pat, sausage patties. I yeah, think? beef breakfast sausage yeah. patties. I have yeah. those. Mm-hmm. They didn't oh, really fly with our community. Okay, but they're delicious. Um, yeah. They're okay. delicious. Yeah. So, what about the revert community? Do you uh, think they, they liked them? They did like them, but um, they're not the when they come right? to the warehouse and they have twenty bucks, they're buying as many ba- packets of beef bacon they can buy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, that's yeah. the thing. You know, <laughs> yep. and the beef franks for some reason they love the beef franks. The beef yep. franks uh, because. It's made with that Chicago authentic taste and mm-hmm. stuff like that. There's no fillers. Yeah. So, I mean, when it came to uh, making these products, we tried to keep it as authentic as possible, right? Yeah. The beef franks, uh, the Polish sausages, uh, the Italian sausages, chicken hot links, chicken franks, they're all made right here in the south side of Chicago. Dude, those Polish sausages are my favorite, dude. Those are the best. And, and, I love and, those. And they're made those by people amazing. who... Uh, they're they're made by a Polish a company, third generation Polish company that's been in Chicago for three generations since 1920. But the company's been in business for since 1920s. The people that make our gyros, they're Greek. You got to go with the authentic people. You know what I mean? Well, what were you gonna say, Ali? You were gonna say something earlier? Uh, no, I was saying about the non-Muslim customers. Almost Subhanallah, we have a lot of them. Uh, Subhanallah, uh, customer named Matt, for example, he only comes to us once a month. He'll prepare his entire breast. He yeah, loves right our chicken. Eat. He loves. He'll pie 120 pounds one given time. Boom! I, I load up his truck up right away. Comes in. He's like, hey, he knows it. He wants that product. Subhanallah, it's, it's amazing. He's like, wow. I trust his quality. I trust the freshness. The dates are on the boxes. Mm-hmm. He knows these type of things. And based off that, he'll come through. There's nothing, there's nothing, no aspect of halal that he cares. Yeah, he doesn't he care just, that it's halal. You know, it's, you know he, um, he comes to the office. Great guy. Very small. A few words. Comes in. Picks up. 120 pounds of breast once a month. You know, you know um, I was reading this article just uh, like two days ago. Um, it was about, uh, it was this uh, restaurant in California, how they specifically do just halal and like how halal meat is supposed to be this uh like you know ultra uh uh, uh clean meat clean right? meat right no blood yeah. and no uh, blood. yeah and so like it's really up and coming do you guys see that trend here too uh you know as long as people get educated on what halal is uh-huh. and to do it in that manner where we say no blood uh-huh. because like i said there's different standards of halal right if one of the accepted standards is slaughtering an animal meaning when i say accepted i'm not saying i accept it or majority of the ulama which means you know, that they accept it. But there's different peoples with different opinions that say, yeah, this is okay to do it this way. It's okay to slaughter a chicken and stun it. Because when you machine slaughter a chicken, they have to stun it in a water bathing process in order to keep its head still to go into an oscillating blade, which is a spinning blade for the heads to go through to keep them still. When you stun a chicken or you stun a uh, cattle, what happens is essentially you're slowing down the heart rate. So when you cut the animal... Not that much blood is pumping out as opposed to not stunning it, doing it with a swift knife, you know? So there could be halal out there that's not necessarily being an ultra clean or ultra, you know? But there are different standards of halal. And I'm yeah. sure that restaurant in California is probably using that type of halal that's mm-hmm. adhering to those higher standards. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I know uh, one of my buddies, he, uh, he took a bunch of his friends out to eat. Uh, they had a barbecue, I'm sorry. And he got all the meat from you guys, and they had it, the steaks, and this, like, dude, this meat tastes different. What's so, this is awesome. They're all talking about it. It's like, yeah, man, it's, he told, it was an opportunity. He doesn't tell him about Islam. You know, we slaughtered it this way. Yeah. There's no blood. Like, what do you mean there's no blood? Because a lot of people like a bloody steak. 
Yeah, like, I mean, there's no blood in it. There's no toxins. There's no. There's, it's no. It doesn't have that filler of blood inside right. of the meat, which gives right, you a course. natural meat taste. When you, you know? s- when you slaughter, I mean, sorry, not slaughter. When you cook a ribeye steak, for example, mm-hmm. and you want it rare, and you cut into it, you see that you see that water juices come out, but it's followed with a trail of red. Yeah. Right. You saw that. I don't know, uh, Sam, if you saw that picture that I put on our list where I made a ribeye. Yeah. And it was rare. Did you notice any blood leaking no. from it? Isn't no. that amazing? It was rare. Yeah. yeah. There was no blood coming out. There was natural juices, and that were not even red yeah. itself. Exactly. But, but that tells lovely. you about how much pure, how much clean it was. See, when you slaughter an animal using what's called CBP, captive bolt piston, mm-hmm. a captive bolt piston is where you put it on the animal's head, and a piston shoots out like a car engine piston. Yeah, I've seen these. And it shatters the skull. the skull and hits it on its brain to knock it out. It's called irreversible stunning. So, I mean, if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't slaughter it, if you decide you're not going to slaughter it, the animal will die anyways. Hmm. Typically, they just die from that. And then you cut the throat, the animal starts bleeding out. And you, yield, little. you start yielding about six pounds of blood, meaning six pounds of blood, if you were to collect it, averages, that's the average that comes out. You're like, wow, six to seven pounds of blood, that's a lot of blood, right? Not for a cattle. If I do it without stunning, I can guarantee you I'll push out at least 21 to 28 pounds of blood. Wow. You see wow. what I'm saying, right? Hmm. So, we're actually paying... To buy blood, we're we're, we're not even. They pay- like to retain that, right? Yeah, I mean, that, a business we, we we hear about uh, farmers and uh, cattle ranchers and whatnot. They uh, make their cattle thirsty and uh, by giving it salt and right, so that there's right. a lot of water content in, in their yeah. in their beef. This is a whole other way of how they could just be selling more weight. Right, and when exactly. It's not exactly. In actuality, it's just it's so not, much weight. Yeah. I mean, you add that plus the water weight, and then obviously throw the corn in there because it causes inflammation. I mean, right. that's, that's you're not getting pure meat. You're getting yeah. weighed down meat no. by blood and water. You know, you're also slaughtering. Uh, you're also when you do it the halal sunnah method, the masnoon way, the way the Prophet Sallallahu did it. You're also slowing down the process a little bit, right? You're doing a horizontal cut, which means a, cr- a latitude cut across the throat, getting the esophagus, the trachea. Or the windpipe, right? The, the, the vertical windpipe. cut is from the it's like you're chin going, down. Yeah, chin down, right? Yeah. And yeah. they kind of stab the heart to stop the heart from pumping. That's probably why you're not getting that much blood out. Yeah. You're getting whatever's in the one superficial artery, and that's about it. Yeah. Whereas when you do the horizontal cut, you're cutting Everything. The, the two passages, the one that goes to the stomach, the one that's for breathing to the mm-hmm. lungs, and then the two jugular veins. Yeah. And when you do that without touching the spinal cord, that brain is still sending signal to the heart to pump out, right? It's beautiful. It pumps out. It continues to pump out. Now, here's the thing, what like animal activists will tell you, and I'm totally on board with animal activists, but I think when it comes to ritualistic slaughter, they think that we're out there to torture the animals. They don't understand, or I'm not going to say they don't understand. They probably comprehend that there's a beautiful part to religion, whether you're Judaism or Islam or Muslim, right? Is that we're trying to minimize the pain, the suffering on the animal. I have slaughtered animals with one cut, saying Bismillah Allah Akbar, where the animal was still looking at me and just blinking slowly and just kind of closed its eyes. Mm. Not going into like some sort of convulsions, like you could tell it was going in pains, its eyes jumped open. Yeah. Now the animal, now, and, and it pumped out blood. But I know I've seen studies where they said the brain activity, EEGs, when you slaughter it that way, start to go down, right? Meaning that it's, if the numbers spike, that means that they're feeling pain. And they've done a study where they showed that they did a, uh, a stunning, and then the EEGs jumped, right? It showed that it felt pain at that moment, yeah. right? Shocking. You know, but the thing is, like, a lot of humane people will say, Oh, no, it's a humane to stun the animal and then go ahead and cut it, yeah, mm. you know, yeah. And then, uh, isn't there like a debate 
in Europe that uh, kosher and uh, halal uh, meat is not uh, humane. Humane, right? And that, that they're trying to ban it. Yeah, that was, and I think that was more of. Certain groups trying to take advantage. I think those of, are like fascist groups. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> you know definitely. What I, mean? I mean, you see what's going on in the world. Yeah. Exactly, it's it's an attack on religion itself. Yeah, uh, because they, they find any means. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. just make life miserable for anyone who's practicing religion, right? You know, yeah. with all the you know, there's Islamophobia and everything going on. Um, you know, when somebody says, "Oh, you know, I don't eat halal because." Of you know whatever religion, a lot of people don't know. A lot of non-Muslims, I mean, they don't know what the definition. They don't know what halal is. Right. What's a quick, you know, thirty second or minute? Like what you just said a second ago. Halal is pure and clean. You know what I mean? That's what you tell them. You t- okay. So how's that any different than any, any other meat? Oh, I mean, I didn't say that's what I tell them. Oh, okay. I was saying that, 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 you <laughs> no, no, described no, it pretty you good. Tell them and if you like, asked you me, and I had thirty seconds. I'd be like, well, halal is a humane way of killing the animal or slaughtering the animal to pass on meat. It's the way God told us to do it. You know, one of the biggest arguments about machine slaughter, not that I'm trying to put it down or something, you know, uh, it's accepted. Halal machine slaughter is accepted by some people within the ulama. But um, one of the bigger things is that it it detaches you from being in that moment where you're taking another being's life. You see what I'm saying? When you say Bismillah and you're taking that animal, the animal is blinking at you, looking at you in the eyes. When you said Bismillah Akbar and took it. Yeah. When you're doing machine slaughter, you ten chickens, you, you have no personal attachment to that animal. And, and that, a lot of that has to do with raising the your own animals, to, yeah. too. Yeah. People that used to raise their animals, they used to respect their food a lot. Right. It was easier for them to thank their creator of course, before of course. eating it. Whether, whatever religion you are, that doesn't matter. Think, think about... But, oh, I'm sorry. Go no, no, no. You go ahead, man. You think about the farewell hajj. Was that where the Prophet Sallallahu slaughtered 63 camels? Yeah. And then he let Ali radiallahu anna uh, finish slaughtering the 37? Yeah. Because how much effort you had to put into slaughtering those animals. You yeah. get tired from it. Of course you small hook where You had to look at each and every one of them. You took their life, you know? Yeah. But now commercialization, corporatization of trying to pump things out detaches you, makes you think that you see an animal, oh, I see burgers. You don't see that that's an animal and it's a being itself. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think slowing down the process can allow other businesses to enter into the market too and, and try to uh, carve out uh, their own markets and create more jobs in their create area. more jobs is right there exactly think about it this way when you're machine slaughtering or when you're slaughtering animals whether it's a vertical cut and pumping out a thousand the guy who's working the line i don't know that he's getting paid a good wage right. and you, someone will be like well he's not getting paid 825 the minimum wage maybe he's getting paid 15 dollars an hour I'm like, well, woohoo. I mean, a rabbi who does a kosher slaughter, they get paid, an, paid like an average of $70,000 a year, maybe even more than that, probably with 401k benefits. But our people in our industry, no, they're not getting paid that, mm. you know? Who's end result making the money, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, sorry to cut you off, and I'm, I'm going on tangent here, but the, what's, what is the halal market worth right now? Somewhere around $600 billion wow. worldwide, globally. Wow. What's the kosher market worth around $200 billion? Back in early 2000, the kosher market was worth more or something like that. But they say somewhere around uh, 16% of Muslims in this country, where kosher is worth over $100 billion, actually look for the kosher symbol, right? They look for the kosher symbols. That's 16%. So 16% of 100 billion billion is what? $16 billion? So we're driving the kosher market as Muslims? Why can't we have our own halal... uh, We do. I, I know worldwide we're big in numbers, but here in the United States, we should be looking out for halal labels instead of kosher labels, you yeah. know, to buy things. But do we have that or no? I mean, there's different well, certification organizations. Yeah. yeah, there's, like he just threw out Ifanka, there's uh, 
HTO, there's ISWA, there's uh, North American Halal Foundation, American yeah. Halal Foundation. I can go on. Yeah. There's Hafsa, <laughs> Halal Food Standards Alliances of America, Sharia Board, Rahmat the Alam Foundation. There's so many certifications, but within certifications, these organizations, they have their own different standards of what halal is, yeah. right? Um, as far as uh, uh, dispersion of all the meat and distributing everything, I mean, Ali, you're responsible for that for the most part, right? As far as and I both, again. So, oh, both of yeah, you guys. Yeah. Okay, so like um, a lot of times people will say, you know, a lot of these companies like yourselves, they have to go to maybe 10 different locations in one day and they're all far away from each other. Yeah. Right? So uh, can you walk us through just generally how you guys do that? Just so people understand <laughs> what work goes into getting that meat out. Well, that's uh, we first we got to figure out, you know, we have a limited amount of trucks, right? Mm-hmm. Our... our Ability to deliver yeah. is very little, so yeah. that we have to make sure we maximize that that load wherever that area goes. Sajid ends up making the route in the morning, right? Okay. We know what we're receiving. We got a fax the night of. Hey, you know we slaughtered four thousand chicken on Monday. Out of that four thousand chicken, tomorrow we try to give it that fresh the next day. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. Monday slaughter, Tuesday deliver. Tuesday night, you could have something that was live yesterday on Monday on your table. You're eating it that fresh. Awesome. So that's what we try. That's that's our end end goal here to provide that fresh, never frozen you know, meat to your plate. Uh, Alhamdulillah, wow. you know, Sajid makes a row. We have a few staff. We, you know, we push his meat out every day. It doesn't matter. We never say, hey, we're not going to go to that area. We do our best to make sure, hey, we took your order. We'll do your best to, you know, accom- you know, finish it. So And the delivery is yeah. like these box trucks. What is it, like a 16-foot box well, truck? Well, uh, we have a 16-foot, one 16-foot box truck. This is for the local Chicago area, yeah. right? Yeah. We have one 16-foot box truck, and we have three refrigerated vans. And uh, what I'll do is... Depending on how much weight we have that for that specific day, I'll send one towards the city, one towards the north, one towards the south, and one towards the west. Mm. Just like that. I mean, when I started working here, I told you my dad put me in the kill floor. He also made me do delivery, you know? So all those years amazing. driving on the road, you kind of know, like, what route is easiest to go, what's the most efficient way to do it, and how you can cut costs down instead of having a driver stuck in traffic on 290, you know? Very nice. Yeah, very <laughs> right? nice. So... I mean, so you, is you, that sixteen you, foot box truck ever like completely full? Yes, to the top? yes. So yeah, it's only you two, or do you guys have? No, other no, we have doing all we have a lot of other other employees that are yeah. working there. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. We we would not be able to do it without our team. Yeah. No, no, we're no, very no. blessed to have the good guys. That we do. So how many people do you guys have going with you when you guys are in deliveries usually? Uh, uh, I mean, if if it's a box truck about eight nine thousand pounds. Uh, uh, no, the box truck will hold about eight thousand pounds. Yeah, he's right. Um, we'll have uh, two people in that truck and one individual per van. You know. But if that truck is going like light, then we'll send one person. But, yeah. but we have a good team, mashallah, in that regard. Uh, the most important thing that my dad always says, it starts with slaughtering. If some, the guy who's slaughtering chicken says, it's sick that day. We got to send somebody there to go slaughter. Yeah, it's 105. Ali's got to be ready to go. Uh, one of our employees, a uh, close friend of ours, Imran Bai, who works with us, he's got to be ready to go. Amma's got to be ready to go. All these people who work with us, they got to be ready to go. You got to know how to slaughter if you're working there. The slaughterhouse, the chicken so place. Even if you're doing like yeah. uh, uh, clerical stuff there? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That yep. is so that's, cool. That's, wow. that's, that's the start. You know, Amma has been doing clerical work, clerical stuff for us for the past seven or eight years. And you think that's all he does. People who are new customers think that's all he does. But they didn't realize that before 2008, for the past 12 years before that, he's been doing the slaughtering. He's been, you know, he's been doing all these things. We've all been doing Mind those you, things. You guys see here, you guys don't see Amma here right now. The guy is maybe 120 pounds, mind you, right? And he's able to accomplish this job. He's, he's five feet. Even, he's about, wow. and yet he can accomplish the job. He's, he's five foot tall, and, yeah. you know, his stature. Good but, for you guys, you know, man. Alhamdulillah, we're very blessed to have a good team. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, just to play devil's advocate a bit, um, 
you know, you know, slaughterhouses. <laughs> the rise uh, of slaughterhouses to cater to you know, uh, you know, three hundred and fifty million, however many there is in America, yeah, right? Yeah. Do you think it's sustainable? I mean, you guys can't reach all corners of America. Here, let me ask you this. No, let me ask you: yeah. Is it sustainable? And if not, what is the solution? Are you, do you guys sustainable in what regard? You mean like having this kind of meat? Or? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, um, or reach outreaching yeah, the can consumers. You reach, can you reach every Muslim out there? That's I mean, what, you know when I. Entered this business, I was like, "Dad, we'll do export to Dubai. We'll do this. We'll do that." My dad's like, "You can." He goes, "If you concentrate in Chicago alone, you'll be fine. Don't look to try to fill your plates up with the thing, doing things that you can't do. That's how you lose things sometimes, you know." Yeah. Alhamdulillah, we've been here for so many years. Just keep doing what you do, and then as you add things, make sure it's logical. You know, um, there's other companies out there. There's other distributors that are out there. Everyone has their own model on how they go things in different regions. Sometimes you feel like, "Oh, I can step into this market." And I can implement what I implement in Chicago, and we'll be, we'll be doing good. But sometimes, in that regard, you have to macro manage. In this regard, where I'm here, I'm more even though like my title's Sajid Khan, Vice President. Sometimes I'm micromanaging, and sometimes that's the best way to do things right. because you have to audit things that you see going out, matching things. Remember, we work on cents. The the way we make money is through volume, right? Yeah. We got to play things close to the chest because you know the community that we deal with, right? We're even though. Uh, in the, especially in the Indo-Pakistani community, they're the ones that are most conservative about the concept of halal. But they're yeah. also the ones that are the most frugal right. about paying things. <laughs> Let's be honest. You know what that's I mean? what I want to talk to Ali about, man. I want to have some uh, <laughs> some live uh, uh, experiences of traumatic issues. Subhanallah, it is patience, right? Patience is, is a virtue. It truly is. Subhanallah, uh, that's why there's such a great reward for something like that. You don't understand patience. You know, you, we have kids, we have other other things. You know, business is business. You have to pay your bill at the end of the day, right? And uh, things lead you on to a different. You know, I don't want to say too many negative things, but things. You know, uh, hey, sometimes it's our know. fault too. Let's no, be honest. Is. You know, I'm not. You know? I'm not the problem. Human beings. We're human I'm not beings. the walking yeah. prophet yeah. Yeah. So, You so, know, so, if, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not the yeah. perfect person. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes I might go a little off the rails yeah. here and there, yeah. Yeah. especially with customers. Yeah. Sometimes. With a high stress job, you know, someone who's doing clerical work, someone who's doing all everything. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to happen. But did you guys ever have anybody like threaten you guys or do stuff like that? Like, like, uh, what? The, I should ask. I should rephrase that question. Are you guys ever putting yourselves in danger in some area you guys are going in? Not really danger. No, no. 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 We try to keep our cool. I mean, this business is suburb, right? Patience. Okay. So uh, the danger in the sense of being yeah. Uh, robbed. Yeah, they they actually happened. Chapati's truck, or whatever, got stolen or something. Got the entire meat truck. The guy left the keys inside. Left. This is on Devon, right? No. Yeah, I heard about yeah, that. I forgot. Uh, what's the it, name? Told us about it. I don't remember. Entire meat. That's that's your that's your that's your bread and butter. It's just you leave the, the car thing. on running in Lawrence and Kedzie. This tells you simple. Somebody <laughs> took off with a truck. Wow. Yeah. That reminds me of a Walking Dead episode. You know? when that, when that truck gets <laughs> lost. In the, I mean, I remember the there's lake. a restaurant we, we supply to. Uh, there's a restaurant right we supply to in downtown Chicago, and Imad, one of our employees, uh, a friend of ours, Imad Sakander. He was delivering, and uh, he, sometimes, like on those trolleys with hand trucks, you could take five boxes. That was it's over two hundred fifty pounds, but these boxes were packed heavy that day. It must have been like three hundred twenty-five pounds. So Imad's probably like, "I'll just come back for these last two boxes. I'll put three on here, go inside, drop these off, come back." He came out. Someone stole a box of beef. Wow. A oh box God. of beef, you know. Roughly and you know what? You know, average the, one box about two hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, because what is it? It's like four dollars a pound, right? That box is like four fifty times up, sixty something pounds. Wow. Yeah. You know, so I mean, things like this happen. Yeah. You know, mm. I wanna I wanna switch gears a little bit and talk more about um, you know, what it's like. You know, I consider you guys entrepreneurs, right? You guys are still young. I mean, this is a family business. What are some challenges you guys face? I mean, um, 
Um, the challenges I think we face, to be honest, is it's not uh, a steady nine to five. I mean, no, 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 no. By any means. Uh, the t- challenges we face, um, you know, it's more so like we have to tighten up our grip in the market in regards to like. To be honest, we put uh, give give a give a good amount of credit out, right? Yeah, we do. We're very lenient. Sometimes you get a little lenient because very you want to keep, you wanna is, keep uh, the customer, right? Yeah. Uh, but, Tabs. Right. But <laughs> in, in the market is market awareness, right? Uh, at the end of the day, you get people calling me and saying, uh, hey, Sajid, or, or hey, Ali, uh, you're selling this for this price, but these people are selling it for that price, meaning these competitors to us. You can easily say, well, that's machine slaughtered and we're hand slaughtered. Or you can easily say, oh, this is that cut and this is our cut. They'll say, oh, but it says halal. That's all they care about, right? Yep. And and I, I know that sometimes they say, oh, uh, if someone tells you it's halal and you should take a Muslim brother's word for you, oh, what if that guy that's selling to you is not a Muslim brother? Well, then they go, well, who look at who signed off on the certificate? Okay, I can understand in that regard. But there's different standards to what halal is. I mean, sometimes in, in this market, it's about being transparent. And that's one, one thing that we try to do is be transparent to how we slaughter and how we do things. And we think that's a selling point, right? I always thought that from a logical perspective that this business is not necessarily a great industry to go into because doing hand-slaughtered, all-natural chicken, for example, is a higher premium, right? If wholesale cost is, you know, three fifty plus per pound and you could go to uh, Restaurant Depot and buy it for like $1.89 for halal machine-slaughtered chicken, how, you, how, will compete that, how will you compete to that when you're almost double the price? Competition is tough. How will the retailer say... I got to buy this three fifty from them, sell for this price. When I could buy it from one eighty nine from this guy and sell for that price. Yeah. The misleading thing in our business is that, sure, those stores did buy something halal from Restaurant Depot, but they got to be able to translate that to the, to their own customer. Because if their customers walk in and say, "Is this halal?" and you say, "Yes," yeah, technically you're not lying. But if the customer walks in and says, "Is this halal hand slaughtered?" and you're like, "Yes." <laughs> you're clearly lying, and this ha- this kind of fraud does happen in yeah. the market, you know. So how do you guys keep so you your gotta... customers if you guys are double the pr- if you guys are more than double the price? Um, you know, what is it? I mean, because you guys are mashallah very successful. To, to be honest, so how do you continue I always, on with that? I, I've always said that, like, if I was doing the right thing, that uh, the barakah would come from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. You know, my risk is already written in that regard. Yeah. So just put my head down, do the right thing, try to inform people that will listen to you, even if they're not listening. You just say what you're going to say without bashing anybody else. And like I said, at the end of the day, my risk in Baraka comes from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. That's it. That's amazing. And, and and I'd like to say one more thing about your father. Ever since I was younger, I remember um, from when I was like seven years old, I just used to hear him and my father having conversations. Yeah. Casey Mart, you know, yellow and black sign. I can't, right. I can't forget <laughs> it. Yellow and blue. It was like a, it was a darker blue. That's why it seemed black to me too. I, I thought it was black. No, it was like a it was like a crazy navy dark blue. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I learned something today. But uh, yeah. But the the willpower and the strength he had, and I, obviously it, it went down to you too, of the market doing something and it's not wavering. You guys just have to stick to what you stick because you guys could actually change your uh, principles and change the way you guys right. do things. Yeah, you guys right. make a lot more money, and you guys know that too. I'm pretty sure. Well, right. But here's my theory. Yeah, this is my theory. Now, when I say theory, it sort of ties in with Islam a little bit. If yeah. I take that route, I feel like there's no barakah that's going to come with no, no, it. No, I'm not disagreeing with and, that. And I might lose it. I'm not disagreeing that with that. That might be I'm a short-term that, gain, uh, that I'll be out. The, the average entrepreneur nowadays, a doesn't good entrepreneur, think that, yeah. he'd think that way. He's like, well, I have competition. I have to do what they're doing because it's right. cutthroat, right? 
<laughs> no pun intended, but <laughs> you know, so that, that's kind of what, what, but you guys have never changed from your principles. And that's another reason why I think. No, you have to keep a core principle. That's amazing. That no, but I'm, that's, I'm, I always feel like in, I, the, in the world of business, yeah. principles waver yearly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but alhamdulillah, you guys haven't done that. You know, right. that's you, very, you, you very, know, you do something, Thanks, you do something wrong. You'll be lucky that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets you in this life for it. Cause if not in this life, then in the hereafter, yeah. you, you'd hate to take that with you to the grave, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So, mashallah, man. It's very inspiring the way you guys have done everything. Um, Jazakallah. Yeah, dude. And when did you when did you actually start working with your father? Man, I was like, it was 2004. I was on the cusp of graduating DePaul University. Did my uh, ma- uh, bachelor's in finance. Beautiful. Around that time, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to graduate. And I'll work with my dad for a little bit. And I'll study for my LSATs. I want to become a lo- lawyer, you know? And, uh, I didn't know this about you. Yeah, I mean, oh. I had those lawyer books. So you want to be a lawyer, whatever it was, in the Kaplan book. And you know what? I opened it up to read a little bit. I got one of them as a uh, graduation present, you know? So I did open it up. And, uh, <laughs> I do. I know these were little kids. I never knew this about So uh, then when I started working with my dad, I thought to myself, man, this business has potential, you know? And I remember being in finance, uh, doing that at DePaul University, and... The reason why I did finance is because, like, you always used to think about stock markets. People can make unlimited amount of money. But then when you get in finance, you realize futures and options, is, it kind of goes with the, goes against the concepts of Islam. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with interest, which goes against the concepts of Islam. So yeah. I wanted to try. I was like, you know what? You started becoming, a, at that time, I started becoming more, more of a, I call it a dini type. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, a, I, there's some people that you say, oh, you know, there's a dini type. There's a dunya type. There's a dini, you know. <laughs> so, like, I was trying to go toward, you, you, those things were coming to me. And I want to try to stay away from interest and stuff like that. So, I decided, let's do this business, you know. And I started working with my dad. But then you see, in this, even in this business, your morals are tested, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In regards to, you know, just you see things in the market. That's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. You know? And uh, when I was working, my dad's like, I remember one time around 2008 or 2000, it was around 2008. And he goes to me, I was, I was on the forklift, I was unloading a truck at the time. And he said something along the market, along the lines that he came out and he said to me, he goes, I don't know where this market's going. He goes, how about if I close up shop, sell this place? You know, because he had money in the, in the warehouse that we owned. And he goes, and I get you this kind of business, whether it was like a sort of like gas station convenience store. And I was like, and I just responded to him, am I going to sell cigarettes and lottery tickets all day? (laughs) And then my dad turned around, went back into the office. I didn't realize why he did, but then he later on told me like a few months later, he goes, you know, when you told me that, he goes, I got motivated again. And I went back in the office and started working, working my contacts. Wow. Wow. So at the end of the day, like I said, man, it comes from, you you know, you you have your risk written for you and whatever you do, right? There's barakah to it. And even mm. if it doesn't go your way, you're just being tested. Don't think that no one before you has been tested. People who lose religion say, oh, you know, if there is truly a God, this wouldn't be happening to me. No, man, this is not how it works. Yeah. Prophet Isa yeah. was tested. Prophet Yunus was tested. Prophet yeah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was tested. You know what I mean? Everyone is tested. Everyone is tested. Yeah. And these are people that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really, really loved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So who are we? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah, I, I was uh, once without a job for about a year. And I got a job offer from a military defense contractor. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I really want to wow. do this. It was great money. And I had to say no to him um, just because uh, I didn't want to participate in something like that, you know? Exactly. Um, Especially when you feel the squeeze. When you feel the squeeze, you really want to do anything. Yeah. Money, man. It's about yeah. my first day out of Military college. industrial oh, complex. Had, uh, it, <laughs> I can start a podcast on that one. <laughs> 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 Go ahead, Ali. First year of graduating college, I remember that the first corporate gig you looked for, I had an offer from uh, an alcohol company. 
yeah. big alcohol distributor right here in, in Illinois. And uh, subhanAllah, like, I had I had several interviews lined up and Alhamdulillah, that didn't, you know, I, I I was lucky and blessed to get the other job, the luster of two evils, <laughs> yeah. but stay away from the alcohol company. SubhanAllah, how great the alcohol, the alcohol company during the interview said, we'll give you a $300 budget per, per month to buy booze to support their brand for your friends and stuff. Oh my and God. Th- I mean, at that time, you know, religion and whatnot, like, in my head, of course it was, but you know, the beard or whatnot, my facial, I don't know if they knew how, how deeply, you know, I was, but I just, you know, I nodded, you know, the offer was presented, you know, later, but thank God another job opportunity came through oh, and, you yeah. know, it just, you know, I was nervous. I was scared. You know, it was yeah, a lot of different usually things. Usually after, gig. usually after that, that test you pass, yeah. it's not very far away where the relief comes from Allah SWT. Yeah. Yeah. Once yeah. you pass that yeah. test, that relief is going to be there. It's usually right on the corner. Yeah. Right. And That's why Allah SWT and, says, إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى with hardship comes easy. comes easy, right? Yeah. I'm the liar. Yeah, man. Yeah. And even even the way that the the scholars have broken down the the words itself, usr, means hardship. Yusr is even actually easier word to say. So it's that's what symbolizes ease, and you actually feel that it's like that big breath of relief, right? That, that you know, and everyone goes through it. It yeah. just it just depends on how you're looking at it, how you approach it. Are you, exactly. Are you looking at it as a test from your creator? It's a sign of love from your creator. Oh, oh, there is no creator. Right, right, exactly. Completely different paradigm of Islam. It's amazing, yeah. you know. Um, uh, actually, it kind of ties into you know challenges. Um, you, you were talking about the story about Carson's, um, about the the story where the 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 people they walked out. What, what was the company? The Cargo. 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 Carson's. I'm thinking Carson's ribs. You know, in in a lot of these, uh, a, a lot of this industry talk about the animal. Uh, you know, meat industry. A lot of Somalian people do work, whether it's in a lot of refugees just in general. But yeah, it happened to yeah. be Somalis in this incident. Like it's, same thing with Cargill happened to Arians. I mean, Arians is that snowblower company. Well, what happened? At, what, what happened at Cargill? So like, uh, the workers wanted time for prayer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They wanted time for prayer, and they I guess they were not getting their proper time at prayer, and they walked off the job. You know, but you think about it from this perspective. A lot of Somalian workers uh, work at these. Uh, meat packers at the meat industries, and a lot of them are, sla- are hired to work the line or they're hired to work as uh, slaughtermen right. to do the halal slaughter. So Cargill is selling halal food. Right. They have a, they, Cargill has with, a halal plant. And, and, they, they, and they are firing their Muslim um I don't know if, if it was fired because they had walked off the job. But well, I think... I think that the whole walk-off part was we'll walk off and then they'll call us back and they'll settle the thing for our prayer. Which I think instead of settling it at that time, they decided to just fire them. I don't know. I didn't okay. read too much into it. Yeah. But yeah, you think about that from that perspective that here, Cargill, they should be sensitive to the topic that they need their prayer time, right? Yeah. And whether they gave them proper prayer time or they didn't, I don't know too much about that because I think I read something along the lines that they said they gave a portion of the people a prayer time here. They came back in the line and another portion has to go back. They can mm-hmm. go pray and they come back in line. I don't know if it had something to do with that or they all wanted to pray together as a jamaat, oh, you know? Wow. But the fact of the matter is that Cargill does, they, they understand the whole concept of halal. They have workers working for them to produce halal meat for the slaughtering. I think that, or my personal opinion is that they should sort of make those accommodations, uh, accommodations yeah. because um, they're profiting it, profiting from selling halal meat, exporting mm-hmm. whether it's to the Middle it's East. A label or, for them. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. What What do you do about that? I'm I'm sure like people on the floor, you know, there's there's blood on them. I oh, mean, we used to make we do namaz. We do I, I know, yeah. I know. What I'm yeah. saying is though, it's easily what 15, 20 minute thing, right? I mean, yeah. Right, just, right, yeah. right, right. You got to wash all the blood off. You got to make we'll do and everything. So that's what you're losing. What twenty? Yeah, they, almost uh, well, an hour I mean, a day. remember they're wearing like these big frocks. Remember, I used to wear yeah. those big plastic yeah. things. So yeah. underneath you, you really didn't have too much blood underneath. Uh, we we're, we're dressed pretty well. We're dressed pretty well. U.S. house that we had the hairnet. When the employee goes back there, I say, look. Do sura wal asra and ina atena and call it that, all right? And come back, come back to work. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't tell. <laughs> read the two short. Read the two short, short stories and come back, all right? No, and I get a, I get an opportunity to go to uh, even Baraka Foods. We took them on yeah. a field trip at IFS when I was teaching at IFS. And we took them to Baraka Foods and just saw the whole establishment. Barakat, and then right. the, yeah, yeah. It's called Barakat or Barakat? Barakat. Barakat. Okay, yes, yeah. okay. And uh, they, they, they had the students, uh, whoever wanted to, they can sacrifice the animals. Right, right. It was, it was really interesting. It was really cool. But again, we had to put on the dress. We had to exactly. put on, so you on see, our feet, yeah. the, boot, yeah, the, the, yeah. the yeah. Our boots. You have and, the yes. boots. Yeah. Yes. And the boots come like almost to your knees. And then yeah. you have a plastic that goes below your yeah. knees. So well, how's blood coming Cover in? Yeah, head. you might get a little bit on your neck. Yeah. That's easily washed off, right? Besides, doesn't yeah. have a big beard like this. this, this <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the Filipino jeans like, right? After, after He's got to yank them. He's got to pull on each pair to come in. After, you know, slaughtering chickens or whatnot, it, it, it is a job, you know? Yeah. You, you hang them up and then, you, you know, Bismillah, as you're slaughtering the animal. Uh, sometimes, you know, from veal, oh my God, you get like an entire rainbow of blood popping out. And sometimes there was an inspector actually available at one time and he was watching me. It was, it was a religious, you know, certificate inspector or whatnot. I, I finished, again, mind you guys, the space that you have to slaughter, it's very, very small. You're talking about two by two feet. You clean the knife within the space. I slaughter a veal, for example. And as, as the, when the blood is coming out, you turn away really quick. So that blood of rainbow that shoots out, it came and shot the guy right <laughs> there. You know, you know if like, I hit the juggler yeah, properly yeah. and it's like facing me, I'll get yeah. squirted right in the mouth yeah. or right in the face. It, I have it, goggles yeah. on. Yeah. My eyes are protected. But SubhanAllah, it just comes, that, that, that heat, that the force. warm. And it, sometimes yeah. on the cold days, I mean, again, mind you, when you're slotting, you're, we're slotting like 6, 5 a.m. These are early morning times. 6 a.m. majority of wow, time. Really? USD is That's... there. Boom, you go. 6 a.m., 6.30. We're on the kill floor. So at that time, and then SubhanAllah, when it's cold, you get to see... You know, from the from the warmth of the blood, you get to see the you know the the vapors coming up. Yeah, because it's kind of cold the, back the there. It might be like fifty and degrees. Sometimes, but like 90 degrees sometimes blood. your hands are so cold, Ooh. but the warmness from the blood it almost is relaxing a little bit. I'm sorry, I don't mean to get so descriptive, but <laughs> no, that's it's awesome. just uh, it's gory. When, when when you so it's, it's, you really again what Sajid was saying earlier, you really do appreciate the animal. You appreciate where it comes from. Sometimes there you know sometimes the machines break down. Sometimes there's there's dead time. Sometimes USDA is not available at the moment. He has to take a break for some odd reason. These moments. I'm on the floor. I'll go. I'll I'll do recite surahs or whatnot. I'm about to slaughter this animal. But subhanAllah, as I'm there killing my time, instead of cleaning up my shoes or going on my phone, I could easily make, you know, this animal is going to listen to the last words. He's going to listen. It's my right. words. So mashallah, may, may them be it's an easy, quick thing. You know, it's wow. the way we treat. I know, there's, I know there's non-Muslims around me. I know they're watching me. That's my way of giving the dawah as well, saying, hey, I care about this animal. I respect it enough to slaughter this. This is my job. But also at the same time, you know, I'm appreciating where I'm at. And it's just easy. All those type of things. It's, There's a detachment phase that we have right now where you get the food on your plate. And if you don't finish that food, you toss it out. After you see an animal being slaughtered, you will definitely think twice. Yes. Before you throw even a little piece of meat out. So I, right. they, they call me garbage disposal of the family. You know, you know why? Because I, because I, cause they call me garbage disposal. Yeah, you know too. why? Because somehow you don't know. You know, food. It's it's a luxury again. Yeah. That of meat, course. that item, that the the strength, that the, the, all the work that went into providing that to your table, to your plate. 
Hey, you, know, you know what I tell people all the time that are maybe even uh, considering, because I used to, again, I used to work at a school, I used to see people, uh, you know, or just generally at Dawat or whatever the case may be. You know, Siraj Wahaj in the 90s, he said something so amazing. He started off his speech with saying, that chicken that's on your plate was created to be on your plate. <laughs> that chicken, wherever it was raised, it was born only to be in front of you. And can you imagine that? Like these animals are created, and we don't, as Muslims, we don't believe in a coincidence, right? Everything right, happens of course, reason, no. everything's written by Allah. Yeah. Without it, right? So any animal that you're eating, even if it's a portion of it, that portion was written for you to be on your plate. So it was actually born. Its its main purpose of existence was for you, you know. And uh, I think that's why people who raise animals and eat those animals, that personal relationship is more. They would never want to waste anything. That's why people wouldn't waste the bones. They make bone broth right, out of it, right, right. soup, yeah, and all yeah. that kind of, of stuff. Of course, you can't waste anything, yeah. even the kapura. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe you could tell me this, Amir, since Rides. you know too much. Know a lot about. Uh, Religion. Yeah, religion. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little sorry, bit, yeah. right? For, 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 for people who don't know about university. Oh, oh, sorry, university. Sim's looking at me nodding his head. Okay. Okay, okay. The Mad Mamluk brand is down. Right. We sold at the store. Our brand, he, he's killing our brand. <laughs> but but um, isn't it a sunnah of all the prophets to like sort of be like a goat herder or something like that? Then a lot Every of shepherds, single, right? Yeah. Shepherds. Hadith of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says, There was not a single prophet except that he was a shepherd, you know? Right, exactly. Exactly. That was all of their roles before. I mean, you see these, uh, you see uh, white Jesus with his blonde hair and blue eyes <laughs> with, this, with, with this thing and some lambs around him sometimes when yeah, you see yeah, those yeah. pictures. Yeah, he got the staff too. He got the staff, exactly. exactly. You know, so. Uh, I believe in black Jesus. <laughs> 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 no, JK, I don't. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Sajid, uh, do, you, do you want to end the podcast up? I mean, is there anything you want to say? Oh, I mean, JazakAllah khair for having us down, and uh, it, it was a good talk. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, giving uh, another perspective on our business and what we do in our daily lives. And, uh, you know, that there's a lot to halal. And yeah. it's it's an economically driven, driven market. And I always felt that, you know, when I was ridiculed, I was ridiculed when back in, like, when I was my boys back in the early 2000s. I used to always say something along the lines of, we establish proper halal. We can save the ummah. People were like, Really? Through food. I remember one of my friends saying, you're not going to say, he goes, I remember my friends, and he's one of our friends, but I'm not going to say who particularly, he goes, he goes, I don't think that the Biha market will ever save the money. I don't think, I don't know how that had correlates. But you look at what it's valued now, $600 yeah. billion dollars yeah. in the global market, mm. right? And who's the biggest players? I'll tell you what, it's not Muslims, right? Corporations, Nestle, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, I don't know about Coca-Cola, Cargill. <laughs> like these people, they, they're the ones that are benefiting most. But the money should stream yeah. Back towards the Ummah, right? Mm. How many percent of the world's refugees are Muslim? Over 70%. I can guarantee that number. Over 70 to 75% of the world's refugees are Muslims. Our own brothers and sisters. You know what yep. I mean? Mm. I'm not saying that we'll save everybody with the Zabiya, you know, with Zabiya, but everything's a start. Economics. The potential social, is there because yeah, of the money. The potential yeah. is there because of money, right? Exactly. You know? yeah. So, I mean... I, I thank you for the time that you've given us. Yeah, just like all guys. No problem, thank man. you for coming, yeah. man. Yeah, thanks yeah, no problem, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Make sure I, I, I like the setup, though. Like, just yeah, go nice. Yeah, man. Read, uh, we're going to put up on uh, Instagram for our listeners. So yeah. hang in there. We're still. From me, man, new. I think everyone should at least check out 
the the beef bacon that you guys have every single listener the beef should bacon. grab <laughs> i see the thing about the beef bacon is like when i try it with our own people people who were born in islam who were so fortunate to be born in islam like oh what is this <laughs> doesn't matter just put <laughs> like, some masala on you guys yeah, like yeah, you know like yeah, what is this you know they don't they'll, they'll they're cool with the beef ranks the hot with links, your maybe. eggs in the morning yeah. i have with the eggs in the morning with some cheddar cheese it's delicious <laughs> yeah. man well, let's do some steaks sometimes inshallah we will be awesome this is, this yeah. is awesome actually i'm like a little fanboy dude i used to eat the fatima gyros forever dude mm-hmm. <laughs> he's right here that's him that's him <laughs> celebrity man um but you know jazakallah khair for coming you and yeah, we, man um thanks a lot guys yeah no thanks a lot for coming out um i just want to end the podcast um you know if you guys have any questions or anything just uh shoot us an email or you know hit us up on uh twitter or facebook if you uh, want to come on our show you can always email us for that too yeah if you have uh interesting business or uh something you want to talk about that you do we'd love to have you on if you're in the Chicago area please email us at themetmamluks at gmail.com yeah. or if you're a big time scholar it's also cool yeah. we'll, we'll have you on <laughs> um, yeah I think that's it um, I think that's it assalamualaikum 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 assalamualaikum